Welcome to the Homemakers Club podcast. The Homemakers Club is a sisterhood of women who value the old-fashioned ways and traditions of making a house a home. As you listen in each week to conversation between myself and a fellow homemaker, it is my hope that you'll feel as though we are old friends and you're stopping by my home for a long-standing weekly tradition of sweet tea and sweet conversation. As good old friends do, we will celebrate the simplicities of ordinary days and come alongside one another to navigate the joys and hardships of homemaking. It is my prayer that when we say our goodbyes at the end of each episode, you leave with a heart that is enriched and filled with provision so that when you tie your apron strings each morning, you are joyfully ready to create a beautiful and fruitful life within your home. Grab a cup of tea and I'll meet you at the kitchen table. Hey everyone, welcome to the Homemakers Club podcast. I am so thrilled and honored to have my sweet friend, Miss Sally Clarkson, with me. Y'all know her as the fairy godmother of homemaking, and she is back. And we are going to be discussing her new book. It is called Tea Time Discipleship Sharing Faith One Cup at a Time. It is so beautiful. I've read it almost cover to cover at this point, and I cannot wait for y'all to get your hands on it because I think that it's going to change so much of what you do within your home and the way you love people well within it. And I know that a lot of us want to do that, but we don't really know how. And so I am just so grateful to have Miss Sally with us to walk us through the book and share her wisdom with us again. Miss Sally, welcome. Thanks so much. I always love being with you. We could just talk forever, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. It's so fun. Um, before we get started, I'd like for you to share a little bit about where you're at right now in your season of homemaking. I know we've had a few conversations, but you're well-seasoned. You're a well of wisdom for so many women around the world. And so I'd kind of like for you to share a little bit of history of where you're at right now. Okay. Well, it's funny that you asked that because this year I've been living mostly in Oxford, mentoring uh, PhD students and mentoring married women whose husbands are academics. And so I just got back to Colorado during their spring break, during Oxford spring break. And I realized that all of the rhythms that Clay and I had established in our home before have been such a comfort to me since I've been home. I mean, you know, my, <laughs> just the, the way that we were kind of, you know, we had some friends over at Easter and uh, he was my partner and he set the table and I got the food together really quickly. And we have our regular tea time every afternoon that just, you know, where we talk and we're friends and I get up in the morning to have my quiet time. I realized anyway, there are many different from housekeeping <laughs> to a relaxing to our meals these rhythms last you for a lifetime. And I, I realized again how much I believe in establishing life-giving rhythms that no matter if it's one person or 10 people, it really ministers to the people who are there. So keep working on your rhythms because even though I, my four adult children are not living with me, my son lives with me in Oxford, actually, I realize that they're just such tools I love that I learned how to rule over my home so that it served me because it's been so much fun to be home. 
and to keep the rhythms that we've always kept. It's just a funny thing. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it does. Uh, it will last you from your children's lives throughout your whole life. And we've had a guest from Oxford. We've had all these different people, but every day we just keep the rhythms going and it, it just supports me. It's, it kind of holds me. It's been fun to do. Do your children do that in their homes? Now I know your one son's living with you in Oxford, but in their homes, have they learned how to establish routine and rhythm as well? They do. It's really weird how much each of my children are such Clarksons. They <laughs> uh, they do all the all the things that we did, you know, and they prepare for company in the same way. And they have people in their home. My daughter, Sarah, who has three children, five and under. I've really seen like last week, she sent me a picture on Easter day and there was another person there I'd never seen before. And I thought her children are growing up as little bitties, setting the table, learning how to ask questions to the visitor, learning how to everybody holds hands and prays. And there are just these life-giving routines that my children also do. And now I see their kids are growing up learning to be social and, and, and to give themselves and to serve people. And it was just, it's just natural already at five, three and 18 months. It's just been amazing to see the legacy. So it really does matter. That is amazing. So I think a lot of times people make their to-do list based on productivity and schedules. Like I need to get this done, like the housekeeping duties. I kind of, I try to explain to women that there's a difference between housekeeping and homemaking. Oh yeah. And, and so I think of like my to-do list on my to-do list. I actually have a section where it says homemaking and it has the things that I'd like to do throughout the day that tend to the heart of the home. And I, and I still cross them off, but it's almost like a little reminder of like today, for example, I baked cookies and had my daughter help me do that while my son folded laundry. And so I kind of, not that I schedule those things, but it's just almost like a sweet reminder every morning when I do my Bible reading of like, okay, what intention do I want to pour within my home on top of all the duties and the tasks that have to happen How would you encourage someone to differentiate between the productivity of housekeeping and then the influence they have within their home, within the homemaking? And then where do you prioritize? What do you prioritize? It sounds like you prioritize the relational part of the home most. It's funny that you asked me that. You're asking such great questions. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm at a Wild and Free conference right now, Mm -hmm. and the talk that I'm giving is, well, actually, it's all the T's. It's it's talking, training. Anyway, there are a lot of fun things I'm doing, but it's really all the priority, no matter what. Uh, if you want to shape a soul for eternity, if you want to fill a mind with goodness and with love, if you want to cause a child to feel like you believe in them and have vision for life, the relationship and doing relational things have to come before the tasks. It's a Martha and Mary thing. Mm. Uh, I believe that Mary helped Martha a lot, but I think that she knew when the priority was relationship with Christ, who wasn't always there, she had a differentiation in her mind of the value of relationship with him. And I really believe that uh, for a mom to understand that her house is going to constantly be in the midst of going toward chaos, toward organization, toward chaos, toward organization, 
but I've never heard a child say, oh, I'm so glad my mom was perfectly organized. <laughs> you know, I've never heard them, even though they might have appreciated it, they, that her, the, the home ran well. But I have heard many children say, I never felt my mom loved me mm-hmm. or I, I never felt like I could do enough to please my mom. And, and if we really want our, our children to feel that God loves them as they are, even with their imperfections, then we've got to be there looking into their eyes, saying, what is their context? Are they teenagers with hormones? Are they little girls who are tired? You know, whatever. We have to be have this lens that we see life through that says relational is more important. It's what I learned from Jesus in his walk in the earth. He he spent three years investing in people, affirming them, instructing them, being patient with them. And so I love how you differentiate the heart of home, I'm going to say life-giving, in contrast to the organization of the home. Obviously, we all have to work toward organization, but I think that relationship most of the time will take priority over that organizational task that you will be able to do in five minutes later, you know, maybe not now, but maybe this is the moment that your child is feeling insecure, fearful, doubting, or, you know, just wants to share a joy with you. Sometimes it's really hard when we're internalizing our own things. Like I just went through that horrible health crisis. It's already been a month, which is wild to me. But so through that, you know, there's a lot of internal stuff going on. I'm thinking about all the things. Maybe my health isn't the best. So I'm not feeling the best. And so sometimes it's really difficult for me. And I know so many other women, we want to, and we feel bad because we currently aren't able to prioritize that relationship with our children or our husbands or our friends because we're in our own thing. I love in your new book, Tea Time Discipleship, how there's a section that you talked about exhausted and decluttering our hearts and minds so that we can love others well. Sometimes it's hard and it's a hard season. How do you address that? How do you encourage women to take care of those needs for themselves so that way we can love others well and prioritize the heart of the home? Um, Because it's hard when you feel drained. Oh, it is. And another good question. (laughs) You and I were just talking about this before before we started recording. And one of the main reasons I wrote this book, you know, I'm probably not going to write 10 million more books. And so I'm thinking priorities, priorities, priorities. And in my lifetime, we as as moms and homemakers, we are constantly giving out. We're constantly draining our resources, our energy, our physical, just bodies, you know, with all the adrenaline that goes on, our spirits. We, we you know, we don't have enough time to really center with the Lord sometimes in every way. I just that and so if you're constantly draining yourself, then there will be a catastrophe if you don't fill back up. And I noticed that in the middle years, it's when a lot of people gave up their ideals, justified that, oh, you know what I've been doing isn't that important and it doesn't really matter that much. And I saw deep consequences in the lives of their children when they went into the secular worlds. And so I wanted to write a book that said, no, you must. I mean, tea time for me isn't frivolous. It's more of a kind of a sacred sort of, it doesn't matter if you drink tea, coffee, whatever. 
if you don't stop every day, if you aren't filling up, either having that quiet time in the morning where you center yourself before the day starts, or for me, the afternoon one, and Clay and I still keep that assiduously. If you aren't saying, okay, I matter and I need to stop. I need to not be anxious all the time. I need to be joyful. I need to put things in my life, whether it's exercise, good food, sometimes out with the women that are just fun. And people always say, I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. (laughs) If somebody asked me, how did you insert tea time into your baby years? And I said, well, I was doing it before I ever had babies. Mm -hmm. Because when I lived in Europe, I learned that a way to open a person's heart was to invite them in. Come to my house. Let's just have a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee together and tell me your story. I learned that, you know, meeting somebody at a cafe, that's the way we could share Christ. We we learned that it was a tool. It was a servanthood tool for our own selves, giving us private time and for us being with other people to develop relationships. So when I had my babies, there's no way I was going to give up my tea time. <laughs> you know, I just, it, you know, I'd hold a baby in my arm and make my little cup of tea and you know, I'd sit down and put some music on, put the baby on the floor with some, you know, toys or distraction. And even my children at little ages, you know, learned that we would stop and say, this is going to be just a time for 15 minutes. I'm going to set the timer and we're going to all have a really fun time. And so for me, it was learning early. I've had a very busy demanding life, but learning early. And when I was 45 years old, I I was having some big health problems, kind of like you. And a doctor said to me, well, you can die early if you want to. And I remember that even in the past year, that my past year this year, I've lost about 13 friends Mm -hmm. and several of them were much younger than me, but they had been living such stressful lives. And, you know, you, you just have to know that it is God's will for us to live sustainably Uh, gently, quietly. And I wanted to do a beautiful book that would calm people, that would bring them life, that would give them ideas so that they could live sustainably and, and live well and be steadfast their whole lives because you can't run at full speed in a marathon. Mm -hmm. You have to pace yourself. So I kind of hope that that's what this book will do is to say, you matter, take care of yourself join with friends hand in hand. You know, I hope that some people that you've been friends with have brought you meals during this very difficult time. But if you don't develop those support systems, you will find yourself alone in difficult times. And I'm talking too long, but anyway, I hope some of this makes sense. We love you talking, Miss Sally. We're all here just (laughs) like children gathered around you listening to all your words. So I'm over here nodding and smiling because it's just and a little bit of heart. My eyes are a little watery because there's so Uh much truth to my current season for sure. And so I'm, I'm excited to start implementing tea time in the afternoon. So every morning I do, and I think a lot of women want to, and sometimes they do, especially with littles, it's sweet. Some of the mamas are like, I'm tired, so I sleep in the morning. I'm at the season where my children are 15 and 9, so getting up early and having a couple hours before they wake up to do my quiet time 
is that's amazing a couple of hours is i get up (laughs) at 5 15 in the morning i'm kind of crazy like that i just i it's funny i started getting up like i i started at like seven and then i'm like yo this is nice i'm gonna get up 15 minutes earlier okay i might want 15 more and so i slowly just started setting my alarm i I could do that when i was younger i can't do it now (laughs) but i would get up just to and there was a time when clay let me run to this French restaurant three times a week at six in the morning. And I would eat my own quiche all by myself. I would work on my Bible studies and drink a cup of coffee. And then he would get the kids up, feed them breakfast. And I would be home by quarter till eight. Wow. And, but it really was like, oh, I am an adult. <laughs> and it's so life-giving to have that independent time to think and reflect and pray and eat good food or drink good cup of coffee or tea but I'm excited to start prioritizing tea time so it's funny I actually don't even know how to brew tea I, I mean I know nothing about it and so your book is so sweet because you actually even teach women what types of tea there are and how to make tea and how to have tea time. And so it's just something that I'm so excited to do. But even more, I'm excited to have a scheduled time throughout the afternoon when I am starting to get a little exhausted, the witching hours upon us about to make dinner, where I can sit down with my children we're together all the time, but I don't, I'm not good at wanting to sit down and do nothing and not that it's nothing. It's incredibly productive because you're pouring into the hearts of those you love the most. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I could be, I can, I already see myself like, I should be folding laundry or I should be responding to emails or whatever. It's always there. It never is. Yes. One of the things I would say, too, is for many years, one of the best things I was ever advised to do, I had a reading time for my children. I I really rewarded them greatly for books. I would put a basket of books, you know, a biography, a a literature, you know, all these different things in a book basket. And I would give them, you know, stickers, rewards. I would let them, you know, earn things that they really love, go to the dollar store, go out with me for, for something and then during that hour, they all, that's when they became profound readers, but also I would have a tea time by myself mm. because I'm an introvert and having somebody tap me all day long and say, what are we going to do now? And blah, 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 blah. And he touched my toe and all the things, you know? And so for many years, it was just for me to breathe in peace. And, you know, I would take about 15 or 20 minutes and just sit by myself Sometimes I would just stare into space, but the point is I learned that uh, as an introvert, I needed some time when no one needed anything from me. No one touched me. And then later on, as they became adults, it turned into, we always had tea times on Sunday afternoons and different times. I always had it every day, but when they became older, uh, they would take a cup of tea to their room and go read. And, and then, of course, we we now do it together. Literally every day I'm with any child in my home, they bring it up, they do it. And so it's just, it's more of a, think of it as, doesn't have to be tea. Think of it as, although I love tea, as it's kind of, of it's as important as breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It's as important as whatever other anchor you have in your life. Uh, if you don't fill back up and if you don't restore your heart, 
and have a little bit of separate you time. Even that's why I do the small groups because we would have so much fun sharing together and saying, oh, your child made a racket today, mine did too, you know? And it was just this filling, soul-filling time on a regular basis to be sure that you don't burn out. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the beautiful spaces you've created in your home that prioritize these moments of togetherness. I know it's you don't just do it with your children. You're talking about how you do it by yourself. You do it with your children and your husband. I know in the book it talks a lot about pursuing and initiating friendship with women. I'd love to, I was actually shocked when I read that you have special spaces in every room of your home. So tell us a little bit about that and why you chose to do that and then who you invite into your home. Well, because I believe so much in personal relationship and in, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes of a little tea time, I keep chocolate chip dough ball cookies as well as sugar cookies and dough balls in my freezer so that at any moment when someone needs a little tea time, I can pull it out and, and make those, make a cup of tea really quick. It's just pouring water into a cup. But I did, I did start putting places in each of our rooms where people could do it with their friends or they could do it with me. Like I have a little couch, a little tiny sofa in my bedroom. And sometimes when I felt like, okay, this teenager is really acting up, I would say, Hey, you want to come in and have a cup of tea with me and make a cookie. And then I would just have a 15 minute one-on-one in my room. Well, then I decided to give everyone a comfy chair in their room, like an overstuffed chair or a, my daughter, Sarah, has two chairs facing each other. These overstep chairs I got at a little furniture sale with a table in between. And so sometimes I would just go into her room and we would have a fun time together. Joy has a little couch. We have, I have five rocking chairs. One's a double and four of them are singles on my front porch so that we could all just gather on the front porch in the summer. I ha- I, I did that in each room. I, I thought about how do you gather people so that they're looking at each other, you know, they're in front of a fireplace, they're whatever. So there, there was a method to my madness of putting chairs near each other where there could be candles, you know, turning on music. And for that moment, you could have such a civilized time uh, with whoever I've had friends, you know, just different things, but I did set up my house for multiple kinds of tea times. I have a little tea table that I can wheel all around the house. Between I love two that people. part of the book you were saying with a little yeah. tea cart. Yeah. And so it, it's been really fun to establish the rhythm and then to see that it was just a way for me. It's not, everybody may not do that, but it's a way to say, stop, look into their eyes, pray that you'll see their heart and that they'll see yours and then making room for people along the way. What about the beauty of it? So in the book you're talking, and and, in other books too, in The Life-Giving Home, you talked a lot about creating beauty within our homes. And so I'm picturing these beautiful little setups in your home. I'm sure there's flowers and the candles, and you have, I'm sure, beautiful teacups. And so there's an element and an influence that beauty has on our hearts and in our homes. And I think sometimes it could become a distraction. House beautiful that can't be touched or lived in. Yes, exactly. Versus a beautiful space that 
brings people in to relax, to be refueled, revived. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on creating beauty within the home and also beautiful moments. So that way we can pour into our own hearts and then those that gather within our home. Well, I think that we need to honor personalities and not every personality is like mine, but I really, I realized that, you know, when my doctor said, you need to really organize your life to flourish. I realized that uh, there was a time when you give yourself to babies and maybe you get all of your clothes at Goodwill or you, <laughs> you know, you're, you're kind of getting frumpy, grumpy and, you know, mean or whatever. <laughs> what I mean is you wear out and you just kind of exist through the time. There is, there are always seasons of life when we just exist through the time, the throw up seasons, ear infections, sometimes holidays, sometimes company. And so there are those times that drain us a lot, but I realize, okay, if my life is always going to be kind of semi out of control of my, you know, being able to determine everything, then I, for me to feel okay, for me to feel okay. I would, you know, I, I do get, I know the kind of flowers that will last two or three weeks. <laughs> so I go to the store and I, I have a couple of vases that I always leave there. And I put those flowers in those vases because, and then I have, I order candles online that are cheaper. And I always have a couple of places that are always there. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I always have a playlist. I have these little speakers that we all gave to everybody in our family that they can have in their rooms because they connect to your phone. They sound like stereo, but anyway, not big deal things, but I realize that for me, because I deserved as a mom who gave my whole life as a one who served everyone, I needed to have some civilized places in my home that made me think we aren't that out of control. We are, we have a beautiful life. We enjoy spending this time together. And so from organizing the chairs, having things that we did, the dinner table every night, you know, it has, we change it every season, but we have our candles. If we eat Cheerios, we have our candles, our music, and we have, we're going to be friends now. And so again, it's the setting up the rhythms, the places, the habits. And so at any time you come into my house, I'll probably have a bowl of roasted salted nuts of some sort blueberries or something wonderful to put in a thing or little chocolate chip dough balls. I'll have candles. I'll have vases. It's not like I have to spend much time doing it. It takes me five minutes to replace these things because as a priority, it's sitting in my house and I can just get to them quickly. But also just know that I love the verse. I've said this probably on your podcast before where there are many where there are no oxen, the stalls are clean. Mm-hmm. And I always had at least six oxen all the time. So my stalls always weren't clean, but they were always in the process of moving in the direction of order from chaos. You know, it's just part of it is that often we are all out of control and we're just moving from one direction to the other. The pendulum is only balanced at one point when it swings back and forth. I love how you mentioned the Cheerios, but make them beautiful with the candles <laughs> and the flowers. I think so many women find themselves in that situation where they're like chicken nuggets for lunch. And I mean, sure. we're frozen pizza. And I think sometimes we think, especially with the presence of social media and sh- people sharing the beautiful moments of their days. Cooking, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to assume like, oh, they must live like this all the time. 
no matter what, people share their their best, which I think is wonderful because I have a knowing that like, okay, like you just said, there is chaos, there is laundry, there is all the things. And I think it's beautiful that there's a space for women to share the beautiful moments throughout their day where we can celebrate those as well. But what I love about the idea of making the Cheerios special with the candles and the flowers is that those are ordinary moments of our day. In yeah. the book, you asked a question that I've been processing, and it's in the very beginning of the book. And you said, how do we move from the mundane to the beautiful? Mm-hmm. And and I keep thinking about that over and over just throughout my day-to-day rhythm and routine with my children is how can I make this a beautiful moment, even if, like you said, it's Cheerios, Candlesight. Yeah. Well, and I think even emotionally, you know, to make it in your mind that every day when I greet a child, I will try to bless them. Hi, buddy. I am so happy that you're with me right now. You make me happy or kissing them on the head. Babies really grow if you kiss them on the head Mm -hmm. and then tucking them into bed at night and say, I'm sorry, we had a hard day, but I love you with all of my heart. Will you forgive me? Or you know what? I know you had a hard day today, but I adore you. And, you know, they're just ways, little ways that when they become habits, we bring life and we get life back. When I, when I was sick or when I was in the hospital or when I had things that happened because I had done it to my children, you know, I would, there'd be so many times as they were older, but I would come in and they would have a candle lit, a cup of tea and have straightened the living room and said, I knew you weren't feeling well. And so I just wanted to do this for you, mom. When, you know, we don't always have to be the ones to do everything. We can say to our kids, I am so tired. I don't know what I'd do without you. Would you help me tonight? And they begin to feel like, oh, I'm a hostess too. I I have life to give too. And both of my girls, when they were living in Oxford separately in their own rooms, each of them designed a book club, a little tea time that they had in their rooms every, you know, this whatever night, Monday or Tuesday or whatever. And they would have chocolate and they would have something wonderful to drink. And they had these girls sitting all around their very tiny rooms on the floor because they learned that they needed to be hospitable to have friends. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that you don't have to be perfect. You, you know, you're going to have spills, stains, uh, but it's just initiating simple little routines that will build your life and their lives and it's not going to be perfect ever but it is going to establish some rhythms of grace Mm -hmm. I love how you're saying that your children receive that from you I'm assuming they're watching their mother do that with them so they're reenacting that with their friends and now that they're grown they're doing that and you're watching that I'm I'm gonna quote another thing that you did say Miss Sally I love your book and so I like I've been fully oh, dog-earing <laughs> pages because there's so much wisdom and beauty in here but you did say relationship is at the core of influence and so I'm hearing you say that your little girls were having their tea times with their friends and all I can think is well that came from the influence of their mother And that's beautiful. And what that could possibly do to those little girls because they felt so loved and seen on the floor of your daughter's bedrooms. I I just can't help but adore the fact that you said, I'm going to say again, a relationship is at the core of influence. 
Well, and I even think one thing I, we had a lot of people in our house over the years. We had an open house many times and we would say to the kids, think of a question that, you know, the person might like for you to ask so they can feel known. And so my children practice learning how to do questions. And I would say, hey, let's make the table really pretty tonight. Do you have any ideas for it? And so they became a part of the hosting, kind of like my grandkids are now, so that it, when they went into life, it was seamless. I know one time my son, Joel, um, he tracked me on his phone. I was coming back from London to Oxford. And when I walked in the door, he had a cup of tea waiting. And he said, I thought you might want this. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> Isn't that fun? But they, they just, it became a part that we all did for each other. It wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. And Clay does it for me now. But, you know, it's just kind of, we know that that's just something that we do. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, it talks about how we're supposed to tend to and care for those entrusted in our care. And so I'd love to kind of hear your your thoughts on the influence that we have as homemakers and not just for our children but also our husbands our friends and even when we go to the market and we interact with different people you know cashiers or whatever I just think that we have this I like to kind of think of homemakers as like lighthouses and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on our influence as homemakers I think home is, you know, is so important. We both believe place is so important. But I think too, as I would watch the life of Christ, I mean, when he, the night before he was going to give his life for us and die a violent death, he knelt on the floor and he washed gently. I think touching is such an important thing. He washed the dirty toes of his disciples. And then he said, if I have done this to you, then you need to do it to one another, to others. And so right there, we have this model of servant leadership. Do I always feel like being a servant? Absolutely not. You know, I get irritated. I get overwhelmed. But I have this in my mind, you know, that Jesus, that that's a part of giving a cup of cold water. You know, he says, if anyone does it to anyone else, they've done it unto me. And so um, we have had many people in our home that have never felt place before. I've had many people that have said to me, no one has ever invited me to a luncheon with women. No one has ever served me a cup of tea. I mean, I I can't believe, you know, that people come into my home and no one has ever served them in a friendly way. Mm. And I think sometimes we'll find that people don't nurture us back. Sometimes they don't know how to hit the ball back, but a lot of times it's because they have never been served. They've never felt that kind of love that is a special, come into my home. I had this woman, I've said this in another podcast, but when I was a single woman in Vienna, this woman who had several children said, I bet you're kind of lonely. You just got here and you don't know any friends. Come to my house. And I walked into her house. There were toys everywhere, Legos everywhere. She took her arm and she shoved it on her, over her little coffee table, knocked all the toys off uh, onto the floor. And she said, now we have a proper place where we can enjoy a cup of tea. Oh, how cute. Isn't that fun? And and she talked to me and she felt, you know, sympathy for me being lonely. And she didn't even pay attention to the chaos. And I, I felt like, wow, she made time for me. Mm-hmm. And it always meant a lot to me because then I could realize, okay, I don't have to be perfect. Uh, it's the warp and woof of life. You, and you don't have to do it every day. You do it. 
I had my Bible studies once a month in the evenings so that nobody would bring kids because they could leave them with their husbands or get a babysitter. And then all the moms would gather and we would talk and share and giggle and laugh. And they helped me make the treats. They would take turns and you do it when it's convenient for you in whatever way you can. But in that group, then if anyone was ever sick, there were meals for those people. There were people who knew how to help take care of kids. It was it eventually became a group of 150 women, Wow! Uh, but it grew over time. But I found that all these women wanted friends and wanted a place to share their hearts. And so, you know, some groups are little, I've had little groups, I've had big groups, but it's just an understanding that probably everybody you ever meet um, needs a friend, needs help, needs affirmation. I love that so much. I would like for you to tell us about the title of the book, Tea Time Discipleship. And I'd like for you to explain what that means. And then I'll ask for your your first step into um, putting that into action in our homes. Well, there's so many times in scripture where Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. And basically it's just, create followers of me. And there's, we have to make an assumption that everybody we ever meet was made to know Christ, was made to know purpose, made to know his love, his forgiveness. And um, I'm, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm a little bit shy when it comes to meeting. A, I, I can meet strangers and compliment them, but leading them from there to Christ is a long journey. But we've had so many events in our homes where people would hear us teaching a Bible study or sharing a meal or whatever. And that, you know, meal, food always opens doors. But I called it Tea Time Discipleship, sharing faith one cup at a time. I think that when you really say, Jesus, I know your Holy Spirit would push me to do what you would do. And he came into the world to give his love, to offer his forgiveness, to give truth and beauty and life. And so no matter who you are, if you are a believer, in some way, whether it's taking a casserole to someone, or like it says, like Jesus said, a cup of cold water, or if it's leaving a note for someone saying, I, I, you know, I heard that you've been ill. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. God would initiate if he was here, Jesus would initiate his love and his forgiveness and his healing to people. But his way of reaching the world was to use his children, his real human beings to reach out person to person. And so discipleship to me is just giving what you have. The little boy gave his loaf and fishes, fish. And it wasn't enough to feed 5,000, but in the hands of Jesus, his little offering that was heartfelt made it enough. And we never know who we're meeting at the grocery store. I invited one of my baristas over one time. I thought, wow, she served me for two years. She said, did you know that no one has ever invited me over to their house in my whole life? Mm. And then I heard her story and it was a really very difficult story. And I thought, wow, that cost me nothing just to befriend her as she kept bringing me cheesy egg quesadillas and <laughs> uh, coffee. And it was so simple just to say, hey, do you ever want to come over to my house? And I've seen that happen again and again. I have a couple of stories in the book about things like that, but you know what, you have times when you can't do a thing, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when someone needs to do something for you. But imagine sprinkling love wherever you go, 
and leaving a legacy of the goodness and life of Jesus in the lives of people who are longing for someone to befriend them. And that's what you can do imperfectly, but generously. And I think God will bless. And I think that they often can take what you gave them and give unto others. Right. And I think that that is such a beautiful motivator as well is perhaps the Lord is going to grow the seed that I just planted. And, and that makes me excited when you were talking about the little boy and his loaves or in the book, you were talking about Jesus making a fire so he can cook the fish. I, it reminds me of the Christmas song. I know we just celebrated Easter, but the little drummer boy yeah, brings exactly. me to tears it's my favorite Christmas song. Every time I say that, people look at me with these like wide eyes, like what in the world of all songs? <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> but it just makes me ball because the little boy, he had he felt as though he had nothing to give, but he knew how to play the drum. And so he played the drum and he said, I'll play my best for him. And I yeah. could cry even saying it, but I think that what you're saying and your friend who wiped all the Legos off the table, she gave the best she could to right. love you well in that moment. And I think that that's a good first step in humility and understanding that it doesn't have to be grand or beautiful to love right. others well. Right. That's so true. And, you know, we don't have to have somebody else's personality. And I think sometimes I'm surprised when, people I didn't even know were paying attention would say, you said this thing and it changed my life. And I'll think, did I ever talk to you? Did I say anything? <laughs> I said <You> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the Holy spirit really takes what we give and makes it enough. I love that you love the drummer boy song. That's wonderful. It It's my favorite for sure. I've tried to find like a cute little piece of jewelry or something that has a little drum on it. I'm not a drummer, but it just symbolizes <laughs> so much of giving your best with the little that you feel you have. And it is just great inspiration and motivation for me. I'm one thing that I'd love for you to do is just before we wrap this up is to give a starting point. So my starting point would definitely be for our listeners to get this book because you walk through every aspect of the things that we were just talking about and in conversation with. It is so beautiful, as they all are, all of your books. But I love how there's worksheets in this book. There's starting points. There's recipes. There's just It's just so it's easy to read and then put into application in our homes. So I'm grateful for that. But for the listeners who have yet to order your book, I'm, what would be a good starting point for women to start a tea time discipleship or coffee time discipleship or lemonade, whatever they choose? What would mm -hmm. be a good starting point? You know, I thought it would be fun if women would get their own book and then read it as a book club, like read it together. And then yeah. they don't feel like they have to do everything themselves. But just read it and discuss a chapter or two at a time. Read it out loud at the thing, then you don't have to even prepare ahead of time. But I think the, the main thing is just invite someone in. Uh, whether it's, you know, there was a time when I, every time when, every night when Clay would come in the door, I would make him a cup of tea, you know, and we would just sit and talk and he could unwind before I told him that the washer had broken 
or <laughs> one of the kids that wrecked the car. <laughs> you know, it, it's just um, inviting in. It's yeah. just learning to see people, getting out of yourself and see people with their needs mm-hmm. and perceiving yourself as the Holy Spirit working through you to give to them. So I think it's just starting by giving, starting by initiating something. You know, I found a lot within my own heart and my confidence within my home in in the role that I carry and that we all carry. I didn't, I understood my value as a homemaker, but I didn't start believing it fully until I started encouraging other women to walk in the role that was God given to them. And so I love how you're saying start by giving because what happens is life and love is given back unto you and not that we do it for that purpose, but it's relationship is so life giving. And sometimes we have to initiate that. Most of the time right now, there's so many people who feel isolated and lonely. More women are on drugs than they've ever been. More women have committed suicide. And I think, you know, just to to kind of be that lifeline, that lighthouse in a tiny way, it can just be a little note that you send to someone. Mm-hmm. But I have been amazed. Not everyone responds the same, but my best friends are really people who we have ministered together. We've done groups together. We've done conferences together. We just prayed and talked and giggled and had fun reaching out and inviting people together. And that's been really the way that I've cultivated my closest friends. It's beautiful. Well, now I have a little spark of interest in thinking maybe this book will be the first Homemakers Club book for a book oh. club. It's something I've been kind of toying with. And so maybe we'll have to do that. And you can grace us with your presence if I figure out how to do it online. I think so many women would love that, love to see your face. And I know that they'll love this book. So I'll include the link for it. I am so honored to be with you. And I just love all these precious women following you and doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you for spending your time with me today, Miss Sally. It's been an honor and it's always a joy. And congratulations on yet another life-giving book and adding to your legacy that you're leaving behind for so many women. Thank you. God bless you and I hope you feel better. Thank y'all for being here and for the work you are doing within your homes and sharing home with the world. I believe with my whole heart that every day, the more we share home and the art of homemaking, we are upholding the way in which home was intended to be productive, fruitful, and beautiful. Though your days may seem ordinary, little by little, you are building something quite extraordinary. Keep up the good work, my friends. If you haven't already, I encourage you to join our sisterhood on Instagram at We Are The Homemakers for daily encouragement and fellowship. And of course, subscribe here as well. We Are The Homemakers Gathered For Good. See y'all next week. Bye.